You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So today's going to be another sort of a grab baggy thing. Got a couple questions. I want to try to get back to some of the things I wanted to talk about a few days ago. I've got a free agent that I'd like to discuss as a possibility. Actually, I want to go through and try to go position by position to find a bunch of free agents, but I found one so far, and uh, I want to get that name out there, you know, just in case. And this happens every time. Every time there's like, oh, this kind of uh, this this player kind of fits what the Packers seem to be doing. It's like, oh, let's go p- through all the positions. And it's like, oh, well, this is taking a while. It might take a few days. And as soon as I say that, something in my brain's like, you got to tell everybody right now because it's going to happen. What if it happens? It's like that Publishers Clearinghouse commercial. So you watch it, and it's like, this is so dumb. Who actually does this? And as soon as I say that, my brain's like, dude, what if it works? You got to go get the app on your phone. You got to play it right now. $7,000 a week for life? You could, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess, you, I mean, you could stop working. It's just the, this, the what if guy in my brain is so weird. He sleeps forever and randomly just like snaps awake like he's waking up from a crazy dream. Like, dude, you got to do it. It's like, oh, all right. But we're well. That's we're gonna do it now. So we're gonna talk about that because maybe they're gonna announce it in about four seconds. So I gotta get it out there because what's his name keeps bugging me about it. Otherwise, a pretty normal day today. One thing I want to bring up, and I've brought it up uh, several times, but uh, I I keep forgetting, and I forgot at the most important time. Um, I know I wasn't gonna mention ratings and reviews, but it's just sort of an FYI. I noticed that on uh, Twitter. Mr. Cornelius, who's been shouting me out on there, which I really appreciate, he threw up my uh, my iTunes account and he's like, "Hey man, check this guy out." Unfortunately, that's not my iTunes account. So let me just let me just run through this one time real quick, and I bring it up because I I also went over to that iTunes and some people were reviewing my show on that iTunes, which is not my iTunes. So Packernet.com is the website that kind of birthed this whole thing. That's where it all started. That's kind of my whatever. That's why this is the Packernet podcast, because it is an offshoot of that website. What Packernet does is it pulls all the news and information from all these different websites into one website, so you can just go to Packernet and like flip through all the different things that are going on. If there's anything interesting, you click it, and it takes you to that website to read their article. It's convenient for you. It's nice for us to be able to have a website with all that content, and it's convenient for the people that write the articles because it gives them a lot more views. You figure if our site gets about 100,000 viewers and pretty much every single one of those goes out to other Packers websites, we're feeding other Packers writers 100,000 reads, views a day or uh, a month. So it works for everybody. Another thing that is done with that, that Packernet does is does that exact same thing, but with podcasts. 
So you'll see that there is a very pa- uh, popular Packers podcast that is like Packernet Custom Green Bay Packers Talk Radio Podcast. That is essentially the Packernet podcast doing, which isn't the Packernet podcast, it's the Custom Green Bay Packers Talk Radio Podcast. But it does the same thing. It aggregates all the different Packers podcasts into one podcast. And again, it works for everybody. The Packers fans get to find all their podcasts in one place, so you can just do one subscription. I don't think Kevin, who runs it, really gets anything out of it, but it's an extra service to everybody. And then for all the podcasters, every time you click play on the Packernet podcast thing, it's a listen for every other podcaster. Now, I'm on that podcast. That's true. So you can listen to my podcast there, but that isn't my podcast. And when you review that, it does a lot of good for the custom Green Bay Packers Talk Radio podcast from Packernet.com. But it helps that podcast as well as everybody on that podcast, not specifically me and specifically, specifically my attempt to surpass all the other podcasts. So now that everybody understands how that works, What you're looking for, first of all, if you type in iTunes Packernet, the correct one is going to pop up. Secondly, if it's a Packernet podcast that has a bunch of podcasts, I promise you my podcast is just me every day. It's not everybody else. So if you can hear five different podcasts or whatever, you know, Wildy and Tausch and and all the other ones, that's not my podcast. There is the Packernet podcast that's the, like, shield with the, the trophy and the green and gold stripes. And then there's the black and gold one that says Pack Daddy. Black and gold Pack Daddy, that's me. Just so we all understand. So when I rev up my please leave a rating and review so we can do this and that and the other thing, make sure it's on that podcast. Not that you can't leave a rating and review for the other Packernet thing. And yes, I understand it's confusing, just it is what it is. But feel free to review their pod or the other podcast, the Custom Green Bay Packers, blah, blah, blah. Just review it for what it is. A, a, a Packers podcast aggregation. Good? Good. Anyways, if you'd like to uh, call in with a question, 608 501 If you'd like to call in to give your opinion, 608 All right, so first things first, I mentioned I was going to be doing that uh, poll mock draft for, for uh, in the Packers group. That's already started. The first round is done, and we're sitting at pick 44 right now. Deontay Thompson has nine votes. Debo Samuel has eight votes. Chase Winovich, four. Mac Wilson, three. Ja'Kai Polite, two. And it goes down from there. I haven't made the selection yet, and I probably won't until I get home because I accompany these with videos, so I'll just let that marinate. So if you want to jump in at pick 44, get in the Facebook group. Link is in the description. By the way, Ed Oliver and Noah Fant are the two guys that we have right now. Just throwing it out there. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. 
Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Actually, I, so I want to start off today talking about going back a little bit to free agency. Because this is something that's kind of occurred to me that I kind of like. And um, I've been wanting to talk about it, but, you know, it's been getting pushed back. I think the way free agency has gone is kind of interesting. And it's the way they're doing it feels sort of like a really obvious thing that I've never really noticed anyone doing before that's sort of brilliant, but again, sort of just obvious. Like, why doesn't everyone just do this? And um, Brian Gutekunst kind of alluded to it. And it was the second time I had a thought that I thought was creative, and then somebody kind of basically said it out loud, and I was like, dang it. And that's when that little voice guy started freaking out, like, I told you you should have said it on the podcast yesterday. But what Brian Gutekunst kind of said, and I want to take it a few steps further, was they treated free agency like the draft. They set up a board, they had a meeting, and they, they basically just went through and like did their own little draft, a free agency draft. And that's kind of how I viewed this. I had mentioned you know, several times how this, this kind of just brought us back up to zero. This isn't super high skill position type thing. And I also mentioned it was kind of unique the way that they went about this draft, not getting older guys, like Ted Thompson would have very rarely jump in, but when he did, it was usually old guys to kind of fill in holes that were short-term, etc., etc. This is all younger guys, but not just younger guys. These are guys just jumping into their second contracts. And it dawned on me, what Brian Gutekunst did was a redraft, which is awesome because if you think about it, Ted Thompson has been drafting poorly for quite a, quite a while now. So now that it came time for all those guys that should have been coming up on second contracts, that are off the team, what did he do? He basically just said, oh well, we'll go get our own guys. We'll do a redraft. So instead of giving our guys second contracts, he went out and gave other guys second contracts, which just brought us back up to where we should have been had Ted Thompson done a better job drafting. And in fact, probably even better than that, because most teams, I mean, everybody has some guys that hit on drafts and some guys that don't. Gutekunst now has the ability with the redraft to see who these players are and say, well, now I don't have to guess. I can give second contracts to guys that we know and have some confidence in are going to be pretty good. It's a little bit better than the real draft because you just have no idea how that's going to translate to the NFL. We know what these guys are. Now, it's awesome because it kind of acts as having two drafts every single year. It has a couple drawbacks. For one, it only works when you're drafting poorly. And then if you factor in that it's going to take four years before you can redraft for that draft. You're, you, I mean, so let, let's look at it from the standpoint of what if you just never drafted well and, and did, the, well, what would happen is you've got to have four years of poor play from draft picks, meaning guys from that were drafted four years ago, three years ago, two years ago, and last year that are all bad, that are all on the team. That's the problem. Whereas if you just draft, you know, really, really well every year, you just have a constant influx of good players. So that's going to be preferable. But this is a good way to mitigate that damage, because if you look at some of the teams around the NFL, for example, I, I, I constantly pick on, there's a lot of teams I could do this to, but the Seattle Seahawks, and I guess the Green Bay Packers, two teams that are very, very good that have been drafting poorly, and their team is just trending downward. This is a good way to kind of nip that in the bud and say, look, every year, we're going to take the money that should have been allocated and given to a second-year player that was drafted that was, that we're not going to give it to because they're not worthy of it, and we're going to give it to somebody else. Now, another risk of that is the fact that you don't always know what's going to happen, right? Let's say HaHa Clinton Dix is one of those guys we wish we were giving another contract to, 
but it's not going to pan out and we're not going to give him that money. Well, there's no guarantee that it was going to be a stacked safety class in free agency and that Adrian Amos would come along and we'd be able to wait for it kind of cool down with everybody just throwing huge money at everybody. Then we'd offer a reasonable contract to Amos and we'd get him. That worked out kind of perfectly. But there's no real guarantee. But then again, neither is the draft. So if you just view this as two drafts every year, it's kind of awesome, right? I mean, you, you might have four or five really big needs. There's no guarantee you're going to get any of them in the draft. So it's almost kind of nice where, you know, maybe four years ago, the guys that are coming up would have been a, a class where you were very heavy in, I don't know, let's say offensive skill positions. And then as, as it comes time to offer up second-year contracts, I mean, it's a lot of money. We got to keep them. But that's not our, real, our, our, our biggest need right now. At this point in time, we can go out and say, well, we can do another draft and we can draft, you know, instead of giving a big contract to this guy who didn't pan out at wide receiver, we can offer the money we would have given him had he panned out to a guy like, oh, I don't know, Zadarius Smith. Because really, when, when you're drafting people, you're drafting with the assumption that they're going to pan out. Now, you, you have to understand that some of them aren't. And if they all pan out, then, you know, you're just in a lot of trouble where you can't give out that much money. But if you're Russ Ball, you're always, you always should be planning on setting some money aside. There, there always has to be this feeling of what if they pan out. If you're drafting somebody and spending like a drunk sailor so that you, you're in a position where I hope these guys don't pan out because we can't afford anything right now because we're just spending tons of money, that's a problem. So here's kind of how I view this. Here's the analogy of how this would work and how we can continue to do this. And by the way, this doesn't mean we, we get this many guys every year. We'll get to that in a second, but... Let's use the analogy of you've got a bunch of kids. Let's just say, I don't know, 11 kids. 11, you know, people on offense, 11 on defense, whatever. It doesn't necessarily have to be 11, but let's just say it's 11. And what you want is for all of your children to be the best ever so that your last name is just carried on into history. You'll be one of the great families of the world. Everyone's going to know you. You're going to have doctors and engineers and maybe a president in there somewhere, a senator at least. Not a state senator, a real one, Angela. And you got all these kids, and as soon as you have a kid, you start planning for that, that Harvard tuition, right? Or the highest rank in the Ivy Leagues, Cornell. They're just just killing it with the office right now. And as time goes on, once the children get to that point, if they're accepted into Harvard or Cornell or whatever, and they're, they're like, I want to be, you know, president of the United States, it's like, boom, here's the money. Here's a bunch of money, we're going to throw it at your tuition, you're good to go. But every once in a while, you're going to have that kid who's like, I don't want to be powerful and rich and take over the world. I want to sing, and I want to, you know, dance and express myself through art. See, you do what every good parent does, you disown your child, you send them to live with a different family down in Chicago, and then you adopt another child who is more promising and wants to go to an Ivy League school, and you give them the money. See? Just like real life. Haha ha Clinton Dix was the kid that just wanted to dance. So we sent him to live with the Chicago family. We found another kid in Chicago named Adrian with a lot of promise. Wants to be a petroleum engineer. Those guys make a ton of money. It's like, awesome, man. Going to come visit you in Texas on your... 150-acre ranch with cattle. Just do nothing but eat steaks all day long. So we went and we, we adopted him into our family. and We paid his tuition. He's going to be great. That's all it is. We just want to make sure that all of our kids honor the family name. 
And if they're not going to do it, before we pay them to go off to college, we just disown them from the family. Real simple, real easy. And the, the hope is, by the end of this, we have 11 people that are all awesome and worthy of that, that big tuition, which in this case, in this analogy, would be the second-year contract, the big-money contract. Now, what happens next year? Well, that kind of depends on what the team looks like. Again, I think the big reason that we're, we're going on such a big spending spree isn't because Gutekunst is just this big spender and like every year it's going to be like, boom, four guys. Big money, young guy. It's like, I mean, you can't do that forever. You're going to run out of money. But I don't think we have to expect that. I think there are guys that are going to come up in-house that are going to be given contracts. However, on that same note, if we look at the the um, class that's coming up for this the second year, this this other 11-person family, which I guess you can, if we if we want to continue this ridiculous analogy, every year is a different family, right? Each draft class, so then it ends up being like seven, eight, nine, ten kids. Doesn't really matter. But if you look at that draft class, it's not great. So it is possible that next year is is somewhat spend heavy. I know um, Andy Herman went on Twitter. He broke down the contract situations and said next year we're going to be kind of cash strapped. We'll see. I I think it kind of depends. As he laid out, it depends what the Packers do. We're kind of far ways off, but he kind of listed we've got these guys left and only $25 and I'm looking at that going, of that group, maybe two get re-signed. So we'll see. But you look at the fact that, you know, Geronimo, I don't know that he's coming back. Jason Spriggs. So basically, here's the draft class. That that's here's the family, and and we can kind of go through it and see who is worthy of college tuition and who's getting let go and sent off to a new family. Kenny Clark going to the best of the best school. Kenny Clark is going to be president of the United States. Jason Spriggs, Kyler Fackrell, Blake Martinez, Dean Lowry, Trevor Davis, Kyle Murphy. Now there was a time when this was seen as a horrible group but I don't hate it nearly as much obviously Kenny's awesome Kyler had a really good year last year we'll see what happens Jason Spriggs I think maybe he's not going to get you know he might get cut this year we still don't know what's going to happen but I think he's got one more year to kind of prove that he can do it Packers or at least Mike McCarthy seem to like him we'll see I mean he's super athletic I do think he took a step last year maybe with the the different tutelage under, you know, it's, it's a different offensive system. Maybe it'll cater to his strengths a little bit better. Maybe LaFleur and, uh, you know, Stenovich and these guys can, whatever. We'll see. Blake Martinez is probably going to be staying on the team. I would expect him to get another contract, but I guess I don't know. Dean Lowry is a pretty good football player, probably going to get another contract, I would guess. Maybe not. Trevor Davis never seems to go away, and I, I don't mean that to sound harsh. It just He's found a niche, and it's it's value that the Packers can't seem to ever replace, so he just, he always stays. Now, is he going to get a, a second-year contract? I'd be a little bit surprised. I mean, if there's any market for him whatsoever for just a kick returner, and, you know, he ends up being a really, really good one, somebody's probably willing to pay more than the Packers are. Kyle Murphy I liked, but he's already gone, so. In other words, this could be a good group of kind of relatively low-cost guys. I, I, again, I'm still waiting for them to extend Kenny Clark. It's possible the Packers have been trying to do that for a while, and, and Kenny's agent is just like, no, no, we'll be waiting. We'll be waiting on free agency. I mean, I, I don't know why agents don't do that all the time. and It, it kind of stinks. It's nice when, when free agency hits and we're not looking at Packers players wanting to get re-signed because we just look at a bunch of other studs hitting free agency, and it's like, ooh, look at all the goodies. But then when it happens to the Packers, like, we got this guy 
I don't know why an agent wouldn't just say, nope, we're going to wait it out. Because the price just keeps going up. I mean, I suppose if the team is somewhat realistic and, and offers a contract that is more reflective of when their contract is up. In other words, if the Packers offered Kenny Clark a contract that is not necessarily based on what defensive tackles are getting this year, but what they're probably going to be getting next year, and then you factor in the, the possibility of injury, right? I mean, he could get a serious injury, so let's get out in front of this. I'll give you this massive contract that is more money than you would get if you would have signed it this year as a free agent. But it's maybe, you know, it's security. It's just, let, let me give you this contract now for security. It's a big amount of money, plus, you know, how the Packers do it. They, they give you a giant signing bonus, so you start waving, like, you know, $25 million in Kenny Clark's face. Like, come on, man, I know you want it. And, and this is a big moment, right? Everybody wants that second contract, and, and I don't think agents are overly dominant. I mean, they just act in the interest of the player. So if Kenny's like, yeah, I want that money, the agent's going to be like, nope, sorry, I want bigger commission. You will play, you will stay healthy, and we will get a bigger contract next year. We're not taking $18 million a year. You're getting $23 million a year because we're going to go out into the free agent market because I want that money. I don't think that's how agents operate. I don't know. Can you imagine talking to Kenny Clark like that? I mean, he seems like a really nice guy. He seems like a really nice guy, kind of like a hippo seems like a really nice animal, right? They look really nice. And when you find out they're the most dangerous animal in Africa, it's just kind of baffling. Like, what? A hippo? Come on, man. They're like goofy and, and nice. Not dangerous. Oh, no. Oh, no, they're dangerous. And Kenny, by the way, if you stumble across this podcast, man, it's just an analogy. It's just, it's just an analogy, bro. You and a hippo have nothing in common except violence, and I appreciate that. Don't, don't, just, no, never mind. It's an analogy, man. So, in other words, I really, I like that. I like that strategy. I like that approach. That draft class wasn't great. We're going to compensate by, by doing a redraft. And we're going to offer up second-year contracts to other players because we... Basically, because we've been managing our finances properly, and we've been setting aside money on the prospect of some of these guys needing that money, we're just going to spend it on other people's second-year contracts because other teams aren't managing their money properly. They didn't set their money aside for their kids, so it's like, well, you know, I know you're really smart, but I can't afford Harvard. I hear there's some really good tech schools, though, and we just swoop in like, dude, your dad is a bum, and if I was you, I would just leave your family and come join my family. Like, all you got to do is take my last name, sign this piece of paper. I will pay your college tuition. Again, just like real life. But anyway, so it, it, it's neat because I, I kind of think that's how the Packers are approaching it. But it also is, a, a you know, when everybody says this is like the new Green Bay Packers, this is how it is, I don't think that that necessarily means... In other words, if, the, if Ted Thompson had been drafting well, first of all, he probably would still have his job. But if he had been drafting well, we wouldn't have had this situation so ideally the Packers draft well and then we kind of just stay out of free agency as much as I love going crazy in free agency I'm just saying don't expect this to be every year don't expect this to be all the, I guess this is just what Gutekunst does he goes crazy in free agency ideally we have a lot of guys stepping up now you know we can continue this if you look at the 2017 crop going two years from now Josh Jones we'll see Kevin King we'll see and I, I kind of want to get to Kevin King I don't know if we're gonna have time but the fact of the matter is there's there's a a good amount of data that suggests that Kevin King is actually pretty solid. It just depends what you're looking at, I guess. So we'll see. I mean, the injuries alone have got to get better. 
But just going through the list, Kevin King has not been super impactful for this team. Josh Jones has not been impactful for this team. Montrevious took a step, not very impactful. Vince Beagle was gone after about five seconds. Jamal Williams is decent. How much money are we going to pay him to be the number three or four, whoever, however many we have at that point? D'Angelo Yancey, not a thing. Aaron Jones is going to get paid. I mean, maybe. We'll see what happens with injury. I don't know. This could get kind of ugly. Kofi Amichia, not a thing. Devontae Mays, not a thing. Malachi Dupree, not a thing. So there's not much left in 2017 to be paying either. So I don't know. Bottom line is, I love that they're doing this as, treating this as sort of a redraft. In other words, we can't really even go back to that draft class because that's been erased. We, we may as well have just also drafted Zedaria Smith, Preston Smith, Adrian Amos, and Billy Turner. That was our 2015 draft class. Which, by the way, with Jake Ryan leaving, the 2015 draft class is entirely gone. And that's who's, who would be coming up for their contracts. Demarius Randall, Quentin Rollins, Ty Montgomery, Jake Ryan, Brett Hundley, Aaron Ripkowski, Christian Ringo, Kennard Backman. Zero of those guys made it to their second-year contract. So again, you want to know why we went crazy in free agency? Because we had a lot of college tuition to pay, and nobody was there left in the family. Every single one of those guys is gone before their second contract. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. So anyways, like I said, I I found that kind of interesting, and I just really appreciate that way of thinking about it because it's just, it's very rare. Now, everything is kind of situational as well. This isn't to say next year we should expect everybody to be like a 26-year-old just coming out of their second contract, and it's going to be a direct replacement. We didn't sign Jason Spriggs, so, oh, we're going to go out and get an offensive tackle. Who's it going to be? He's got to be 26 and blah, 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 blah. Right? It just depends on the situation. But again, in this particular situation, we had nobody wanting to come into their second-year contract. We wanted to get those young guys that we should have had from the group of Demarius, Rollins, Montgomery, Ryan, Hundley, Rukowski, Ringo, and Backman who are all gone, so we replace them. Got it? Good. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, so I want to switch gears now. I had two questions, and I want to try to get to them. Actually, there's there's technically three questions. I want to address Andy first, who is in Kansas but not from Kansas. Twofold. Number one, he wanted me to kind of comment on, um, you know, Packers and new acquisitions that maybe are going to not only help the team but help other position players. So, for example, Zadarius Smith and this pass rush kind of helping the secondary kind of thing. And you mentioned maybe later in the season, comment on that. So, Andy, remind me later. As to your second question, since Adrian Amos's name is uh, initials AA, as in double A, would Battery be a good uh, good nickname for him? I'm going to go out on a limb and say no. <laughs> if, if what you mean by that is like assault and Battery, I mean, I get it, and it's clever, but I'm just, immediately what comes to mind is sort of the NFL's reputation and some of the players' reputation. And the Packers are kind of free and clear right now of that kind of stuff. 
I don't know if we want a guy that's roaming around bragging about being, you know, battery. I'm also just thinking about the the very, very, very minute chance that anything comes out about Adrian Amos that is not super great involving the actual crime of battery. The fact that we've been going around bragging about battery and cheering on Mr. Battery, it just, I'm good with Smash Amos. You know, Smash is fine. I mean, granted, it's not going to be great if it turns out he, like, hit somebody with a sledgehammer. But I'll take my chances on Smash. But, you know, you got to draw the line somewhere. I'm going to go ahead and draw it at Battery. But, hey, you want to call him Battery, call him Battery. I just don't want to have 700 sound clips of me bragging about Battery and then find out that he, uh, you know, did something not great. And even if he didn't, it's just it's not a thing I want to say. Y'all see Battery out there assaulting people? Boom! That was awesome. We love Assault and Battery here on the Packernet Podcast. Yeah, we could, we could actually name the other guy that we draft Assault. And that, that could be the safety duo, Assault and Battery. Y'all see that interception last week by Hate Crime? I mean, granted, the only reason he got that pick is because Child Endangerment was pressuring the quarterback. But that was still a nice catch by Hate Crime. I, just, I mean, I'm just saying, maybe we don't go down that road. But, you know, we could talk about it. We'll have a conversation about it. But anyways, uh, let's jump into the second question. And this in here is from Mr. Matt. I've been listening uh, the past couple of days, and we've just been talking about potential um, potential drafts. You know what position we should draft, our needs, and how we've addressed a lot of them in free agency. But I recall a couple of weeks ago, or maybe a week ago, you talking about the still glaring need for a cornerback and a top tier cornerback. Would you be upset? if we use 12 or 30, but mainly 12, to take the best cornerback in the draft and address that glaring need that we've kind of neglected because we seem to think that we've had that position figured out? Or do you see us going elsewhere? I mean, obviously, I see us going elsewhere as well, but, I mean, you did discuss how just abysmal our cornerbacks are. And Amos is a safety, and he'll help over the top, but... We still need to address that, uh, you know, the up in the face of the wide receiver position. So let me know what your thoughts on this are, man. Thanks a lot. So it's a really good question. Thank you, Matt. I did mention, uh, first of all, let me just clarify, I don't think our corners are abysmal. So I want to talk about our corners and kind of give some specific. Um, What I had said, just in case there's anybody that's new, I don't want you to think, oh, he said cornerbacks are abysmal. I'm never listening to this podcast again. I think we overvalue our cornerbacks as Packer fans. I think the general consensus is Jair is like a top 10 corner, which is not true. Um, I think we're very optimistic about Josh Jones, um, which is fine. I I don't I want to be optimistic about Josh Jones. I'm certainly not ruling him out because he's young. I think in general, the consensus is, and I'm, I, I shouldn't, I'm, I'm not trying to speak for you. I'm just trying to get a feel for what I see. And what I see is generally on Facebook and Twitter, Kevin King is seen as a very, very, very good corner. He just can't stay healthy. I don't necessarily agree with that. But I will go back and we'll look at some specific numbers that definitely show him as being a better cornerback than I tend to give him credit for. But either way, it's not great that he can't get on the field. And he certainly is limited, right? I mean, I've I've said since day one before he ever took a, a snap in a green and gold helmet that if your plan is to try to, you know, run a go route and try to throw the ball over Kevin King, that's not going to work. I think to this day that has never happened. Never once has anybody been able to throw a fade route in the end zone over Kevin King. Never once has anybody beat him on a go route. Now, if, if the route involves a little bit of, of angulation, like if the guy turns a little bit, Kevin King might be in trouble. 
But I think in general, Packers fans view our cornerback group as very young and very talented. I agree with the first half, but I don't necessarily agree with the second half. And it, it creates a problem because let's say I'm right, and let's say we have young cornerbacks, and let's just say hypothetically they don't get better. What do we do at this point? Do we continue to throw draft capital at it? I mean, how much do we put stock in giving them time to develop? Again, I said last year, we, we I, not necessarily that we shouldn't get Derwin James, but I was thinking about Josh Jones the whole time. We had just drafted him one year before, and I know he had a bad year, but why don't we give him a year to develop? What if Josh Jones becomes, I mean, if, if we draft Derwin James, and granted, this is back when we still had HaHa, so I didn't see him as, as filling a need at free safety. So really, it was just we needed a strong safety. And if we get Derwin James, he will be our strong safety. And then Josh Jones does what? We basically just threw away a second-round pick. Now, in hindsight, that seems silly. But understand, that's what everybody's doing right now with Josh Jackson. That's what everybody's still doing with Kevin King, who was a second-round pick. Saying, why would you draft corner when we have Josh Jackson and Kevin King, even though they've contributed very little to this team so far? So we we can look at it that way and say we don't want more young talent because we've got a bunch, and I'm sure they're going to be fine. But going back to Matt's question, let's say at 12 the best available player is Greedy Williams. Let's say the best available player is Byron Murphy. Do we take somebody else? Do we do we trade back? If they're a good value, let's say we we value Byron Murphy as a top 10 player. Like he's the ninth best player on the on the uh, on the board. He's the lone man on the on this tier, right? Everybody else, there, there was Byron Murphy and and five other guys that were on this like number two tier. He's available. Everybody else is gone. Are we going to take the best player available, or are we going to say no, 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 no? We don't need corner because if we don't, I don't, I don't know. And you know, again, we we can we can talk about the fact that now we have a better safety over the top, which is going to help. We can talk about having a better pass rush, which can help. But to answer the question directly, if you're telling me hypothetically that Byron Murphy or Greedy Williams or whoever, you know, Rocky Sin, I don't care, whatever the Packers think it is, if, if they're looking at it and they're saying there's one player left on this tier, he has an unbelievable value at 12 and he is a cornerback, are we going to take him or trade back? You take him. You absolutely take him. So what I just want to do now, and again, my, my whole thing is, even though I'm very preachy, it's my podcast, it's what I'm going to do, I want to try to just give information so that you can formulate your own opinions. I'm not afraid of other people not agreeing with me. That's completely fine with me. So I'm going to give you the information that I'm operating off of. You take it for what you think it's worth, and you value it how you want to value it. I want to look at the Green Bay Packers corners. I want to look at the grades. I want to look at the specific stats. I want to look at the in-depth stats. And then I want to look at some of these um, college corners that are coming into the draft, similar to what I did yesterday with defensive tackle and edge rusher, because it's it's a good opportunity to be able to do that and get to know some of these guys in the draft. So first of all, when I look at our defense, and for example, when I look at the defensive interior, just grades, and I know a lot of people don't care, but just bear with me, we're going to run through all of it. When I look at grades, there is not one bad player on the defensive interior. James Looney was the worst player on the entire defensive interior, and he was his grade was 66, right? So 60 is average. 66, you're kind of getting up close to the good territory. Montrevious Adams was basically good. Muhammad Wilkerson, Mike Daniels, Dean Lowry, Tyler Lancaster, all good. Kenny Clark was elite. When I go over to corner, you've got Devon House, who was abysmal. Bashad Breeland graded out as below average. Kevin King graded out as below average. Tony Ground graded out as bad. Josh Jackson was average. Natrell Jamerson was average. Jair Alexander was the only one that was good. And he was barely good. 
Not very good, not elite, just good. As we run through the specifics and we look at run defense, everybody was either average or bad with the exception of Bashad Breland. And again, some of these guys, real low sample size here. Actually, just Devon House and Detroit Jamerson. Otherwise, they had at least 300 snaps between Kevin King and Bashad Breland. Tony Brown, 290. So, so right around that 300 range. Jair and Josh Jackson are the only ones that had a lot of snaps. They both had over 700. Then you look at tackling. Tony Brown is the only one that had a decent tackling rate. And a trail, but again, I'm just, we're not referencing him anymore. As far as pass rush, everybody was below average with the exception of Jair. He was above average. In coverage, the one that matters, and again, we're just talking about grades right now. Bashad Breeland was below average. Kevin King was average. Tony Brown was bad. Josh Jackson was average. Jair was good. That's our cornerback group right now. Now, I get that they're young. I get that there's maybe involved, but I'm looking at a group right now that isn't great. And just because we drafted them early doesn't mean they have to be great. We should know that as Packer fans right now. After all these drafts that we've seen with Ted Thompson, we should know that just because you take a cornerback in the second round doesn't mean anything. If we haven't learned that, we're in trouble. I don't know why we can't seem to get cornerbacks, why we can't figure that out, what, what it is that we're doing wrong. But just based on that, it's a pretty dire situation. Now, from that, I just want to switch over to cornerbacks in general to give some perspective on where the Packers corners ranked compared to other corners in the NFL. Again, starting with grade, and then we'll move on to other stats. So first of all, looking at overall grades by cornerbacks, where did they rank? Just straight up defensive grade. Jair was 32nd meaning, you know, barely starter quality. He's not top 10, he's not top 15, he's not top 20, he's 32nd. Our second best corner was Josh Jackson, rated 98th. I mean, guys, this, this, is, this is no different than what we had with Quinton Rollins and, and Demarius Randall, with the exception of Josh, or excuse me, Jair being pretty good. And again, fine, maybe they'll get better. But what if they don't? How, how much is this defense going to struggle? How much of a letdown is this defense going to be if we don't just assume that everyone's going to be awesome next year? If we don't assume Josh Jackson goes from really struggling and not being great to being awesome, if that doesn't take place, if, if Kevin King doesn't become an elite cornerback, if Tremont doesn't step in and be dominant at 400 years old, what is our defense? And, and beyond that, what is, what is the biggest need we have right now? I mean, just, just looking at 2018 and assuming that things don't just magically change, what is the biggest need? It's not defensive interior. It's not edge rush. I mean, if you, if you think we have a bigger need at edge rusher than we do at corner, I'm a little bit confused by that. Again, if, unless you're just assuming that everybody's going to be awesome next year, I don't know what you're talking about. We do need one other safety, but we might need two, three cornerbacks. Here's the other thing. If we don't re-sign Bashad Breeland, which somebody had mentioned a while ago, he could be going for like eight, nine million dollars right now. No way in the world I could see the Packers re-signing him for eight million dollars. Maybe, but I, I don't I, I don't know. But if he doesn't, and Tremont is, you know, I don't know, maybe we keep him and he stays at safety. I'm not really sure what's going to happen there. But even at that point, we still, we've got three guys. That's not enough. That's not a big enough cornerback room. Are we just going to have these three and then a bunch of undrafted free agents again or fourth round picks or what? Is that the plan? I mean, we do get how important cornerback is, right? We're talking about we have to get a safety. We have to get... Really? I mean, we do. But nobody's even talking about corner. We need to get a a fifth outside linebacker. We're talking about taking our, our you know seventh talented defensive lineman. We're talking about adding another tight end. We're talking about adding more wide receivers. Nobody wants to touch cornerback because we've got a bunch of young, talented guys. 
Can we at least talk about it? Josh Jackson was 98th. Kevin King was 103rd. Tony Brown was 126th. Rashad Breeland 107th. So outside of Jair being top 32, um, the only guy that was top 100 was Josh Jackson. If we just look at coverage, they're great in coverage. Jair was 29th. Josh Jackson was 65th. Kevin King was 67th. Bashad Breeland was 100th. Tony Brown, 123rd. That's out of 131, by the way, so he was almost dead last. Um, looking at things like reception percentage, and I, I just want to look at things that are percentages because some are going to be higher or lower or whatever based on how many snap counts you got. But um, looking at reception percentage, Kevin King was actually pretty solid. And this this is where, I, as I said, Kevin King has got some flaws, but the numbers look pretty good. Now, also keep in mind, last year, Devon House dominated a lot of these numbers. It was very weird because he was really bad, but as, in terms of like certain numbers, he was really, really good. So, I mean, take it for what you want. Again, you weigh these numbers however you want to weigh these numbers. But uh, Kevin King's reception percentage was 52.2%, which was sixth. He was targeted 92 times, only 48 of them were caught. Next was Bashad Breeland. He rated, uh, ranked 37th, 59.4%. 19 out of 32 passes were caught. Now, it's 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 also kind of tough because when you're talking about reception percentage, I mean, it, and I, I mean you, you understand how NFL stats work, right? They're, they're just, nothing gives you a full picture. That's why I'm just throwing a bunch of stuff at you because you just got to kind of pick it apart, right? How many times are you thrown at? Well, if you're, a good, if you're a good corner, you're not thrown at very often. And if you're not thrown at very much and, you know, I mean, if, if you get thrown at in a game five times and three of them get caught, that's not a very good reception percentage, but it's not a very good representation either. So a smaller sample size could kind of skew it a little bit. Anyways, Tony Brown was 54th at 63.2. Jair Alexander ranked 64th at 64.6. Josh Jackson was 79th. 44 out of 64 were caught. So overall, at least they're all top 100 in that category. Looking at yards per reception, top guy is Tony Brown, who ranked 49th. That really isn't great. Now, again, you, you, I mean, we can, we can make excuses for all of these because there's, there's a lot more to every single one of these stories. For example, a lot of the depth of these targets probably has something to do with the safety. If these guys had a little bit of safety help, maybe, you know, this wouldn't be such a horrible category. But again, our top guy, Tony Brown, 11.6. Average yards per reception. Kevin King was 77th. Average was 12.8. Jair ranked 81st at 13. Bashad Breland rated 97 at 13.8. Looking at interceptions, it's not super great. Um, Bashad Breland, um, I mean, Bashad was our top guy with two picks. Now, it's not bad when you factor in he only had 300 snaps, but a lot of guys up here only had about 300 or so snaps, 400, 500. Troy Hill, Quinton Dunbar, uh, Avanti Maddox, some guys had more picks than that. J.C. Jackson had 395 snaps, had three picks. But still... As far as the Packers go, Bashad Breland, 300 snaps, which is half of what Jair had, and he had two picks. Jair had two. Excuse me, Jair had one. So, I mean, that, that's just not good, man. Bashad Breland is the only guy on this team with two picks. Didn't Josh Jackson have two picks in the preseason? That's got to get better. Now, speaking of Josh Jackson, the one area where he does excel, and we saw this a lot, it would just be nice if some of these converted to picks, um, Josh Jackson was seventh in, retur- in regard to pass breakups. He had 11 pass breakups. Stephon Gilmore had 18. James Bradbury had 13. And then Kyle Fuller, Darius Slade, Desmond Trufant, Orlando Scandrick all had 12. Josh Jackson, Robert Alford, Morris Claiborne all had 11. 
So he's in pretty elite company. I mean, he's right in there with everybody. The only one that really, really, really stands out is Stephon Gilmore with the Patriots with 18, which is ridiculous. Um, in terms of NFL passer rating, uh, this is, again, another one of those, I don't want to call it an advanced metric, but it kind of is. It's not a PFF advanced metric, but it is an advanced metric. But anyways, Bashad Breeland was actually third in the NFL. That's, again, one of those things that kind of highlights, well, maybe there's something here. His passer rating allowed was 59.8. Now, you know, the, the problem with this is if you look at who is surrounding him, it's not necessarily the best of the best. J.C. Jackson, Sherrick McManus, Bashad Breeland, Av- uh, Avanti Maddox, Xavier Howard, Chris Harris is good, David Amerson, Kyle Fuller, Holton Hill. Like Who who are these guys? So it's great that he had a really low passer rating when targeted, but I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that nobody had any touchdowns on him, Right? If you have no touchdowns, two interceptions, three pass breakups, that's going to help. Uh, continuing on, Kevin King was 36. He had a passer rating of 84.1, which is still pretty solid. Jair had a passer rating of 94, not quite as good. Tony Brown had a passer rating of 102.9, which is not great. Josh Jackson was ranked 100th with a passer rating of 112.7. He gave up four touchdowns, had zero interceptions, 11 pass breakups. So again, we're not quite to all the advanced metrics yet, but I'm just saying, as I look at this defense, cornerback is a weakness. We don't have a stud at corner. We don't have one. Jair maybe could become one, and Josh Jackson could maybe become a good number two, or Kevin King could maybe be... As of right now, we have one guy that is a good starter and a bunch of guys that just aren't very good at a premium position like cornerback. All right, so let's look at some of the more advanced coverage uh, stats that they have over at Pro Football Focus. So first up is snaps per reception. So how many offensive snaps does a team take before the guy you're guarding gets a reception? So for example, uh, Avanti Maddox, 21.7. In other words, 21, almost 22 snaps go by before anybody catches a pass on Maddox. Now, to keep in mind maybe one of the flaws with this specific metric, it kind of depends not only who you're going up against, but who the other corners around you are, right? If you are a good corner and everybody else on your team is a garbage corner, nobody's just going to throw at you. So that would be a weakness, but it's still a relatively good metric. You want this number to be as high as possible. I mean, if a team throws the ball 40 times in a game and you're only allowing a catch once every 20 snaps, 20 passing snaps, that's only two receptions a game. So this is one of the areas where Kevin King is relatively high. He ranked 14th in this category at 14.4 snaps per reception. So to be specific, there were 173 coverage snaps. So 173 times when he was on the field, a team was throwing the football, and only 12 times did somebody catch a pass on Kevin King. After that, nobody was any good at this. Josh Jackson was uh, rated 80th. At 9.5, Bashad Breeland was 86th at 9.1. Jair ranked 100th. Somebody caught a pass on Jair once every 8.4 snaps. And then Tony Brown was almost dead last at 7. Snaps per target, similar kind of thought process here, except it's how many times did they throw the ball at you, not just how many times did they catch it. So receptions is more valuable, but if you kind of marry these two together, it kind of gives you a fuller picture. Right? It's, it's okay if you have a high snaps per target so long as your snaps per reception is low. In other words, you can throw at them all you want, just don't let them catch it. So Kevin King was also pretty high in this, 26th he rated. So once every 7 point times he was thrown at. And again, looking at the next metric, only once every 14.4 times. So every 7 snaps or so they threw at Kevin King, only you know every other time or so that, that pass was actually caught. Josh Jackson was 72nd in this category. Um, Jair was 109th, Bashad Breeland was 109th, Tony Brown literally was dead last in this category. He was 132nd out of 132. 
he was targeted once every 4.4 snaps. So when he's on the field, he was thrown at more than any other cornerback in the entirety of the NFL. The final advanced metric is yards per snap. So in other words, how many yards do you expect a player? And th- this this could actually be the most like definitive thing. If you want to guard or, or, or measure the total impact that a player has on your team, and again, we're, we're just looking at numbers, similar to what we do with edge rushers, and just look at numbers. What, what is the percentage of time? If we want to, and, and obviously there's more to just yardage. There's, you know, high impact plays like first down. There's touchdowns and things. But this, this is kind of down to the nitty gritty where, on average, when that team snaps the ball and expects to pass, how many yards are you going to give up on this play on average? This, again, is where Kevin King kind of shines. He ranked 20th. On average, he gives up .88 yards per snap. So again, if we just throw out a random number of 40, we're talking about maybe 33 yards he gives up in a game. Once again, Kevin King kind of stands out, and then we drop. We just plummet. Josh Jackson ranked 86th. He gave up 1.33 yards every single snap. Bashad Breland was 105th. He gave up 1.52 yards every single snap. Jair was 110th, giving up 1.54. Tony Brown was 116th, giving up 1.65 yards per snap. So if, I mean, if you just add that up and average it out, that's kind of how much the Packers' defense is going to give up in yards every single game. That has to come down. I mean, the fact that I'm scrolled all the way down to the bottom and I see three Packers just sitting there, Bashad Breland, Jair, and Tony Brown, just sitting right near the bottom. And every time I scroll down, and this has been years, and I'm tired of it, years and years and years and years. Whenever I look at cornerback on pro football focus, they're always at the bottom, always, always, and nothing's changed. It's not different now. We've got a bunch of guys, and again, they're all just sitting at the bottom. And I acknowledge Jair has got a lot of talent, and he could be a top corner. We'll see how much he grows. And I acknowledge Kevin King kind of dominates these advanced stats. So there's some some good stuff going on. He he provides something. Probably the fact that you can't beat him deep is going to help with the advanced stats as well. I mean, if you if you're picking him apart kind of on these little crossing routes, that's not going to hurt your stats quite as much as is you know Josh Jackson just getting taken deep, you know whatever. But I just I. Mm. I, I feel the frustration at the idea of, of taking a cornerback, especially at 12. It makes me sick like everybody else. How many times? We just took Jair last year. How many times are we going to do this? I'm tired of it. Let's do other stuff. However, we took care of a lot of needs. It should give us the opportunity to say, hey, Greedy's a top guy. Let's just take him. Because then if we look at the situation, if Jair does take a step or if he doesn't, I mean, there's no situation where taking Greedy, if, assuming he's a good cornerback, and I again, I don't care who the person is, there's no situation where that turns out to be a bad thing. Even if Josh Jackson and Kevin King and Jair all step up, even if they're all, let's say, top 32 guys, they're all just all starter, what's the problem? You're going to have at least three corners on the field almost every single play anyways. We're talking about having four good corners and that's giving you heartburn? says the fan base that wants Ed Oliver, especially as much as Kevin King's hurt. I mean, we're, we're sitting on a team that has two cornerbacks right now. Only one of them really has shown a decent amount of promise. And the difference between the team, let's just say 2018 carries over into 2019, we've got some problems. The difference between that and the potential of having another dominant cornerback. Let's say that we get greedy and he's better than Jair. What does that mean? Imagine a team in which when they just have two wide receivers out there, we've got Greedy Williams and Jair Alexander. And Jair, who's very good, is our number two. Then, if they have three wide receivers, we can either keep Jair on the outside and Greedy on the outside and put, you know, Josh Jackson or whoever on the inside, 
Or if they've got a really good slot wide receiver, we put Jair in the slot because he's really good in the slot, and we put either Kevin King, probably Kevin King, or Josh Jackson on the outside. Is that the worst thing in the world? Is that so terrible? Like, oh no, Josh Jackson maybe is going to sit on the bench. This can't be. He's one of our top players. We can't have that much talent sitting on the bench. I mean, what what is it? What What is it right now that, that has everybody so worked up about not wanting to take a corner? Are you just frustrated with it and you don't want to do it, even if it means helping the team that much? I legitimately want to know, what is it about cornerback that we just we can't stomach the possibility of taking another one early? We just hate the idea of having a good cornerback on the team. Whatever. I we, we got to hurry up. I want to look at a couple of different corners. There's not that many that are that are available that are first-round caliber anyways, but uh, I want to take a look at some of them. And that'll have to be the end of it, too. I, I wanted to get to looking at um, uh, the, the running back Montgomery. That was another question that was asked of me. That'll have to be tomorrow. So I just want to look at the top two. If you have any other questions, um, feel free to ask, and we'll, we'll try to dive in a little bit later. But again, there's really just two that are seen as, as first-round. I shouldn't say first-round. Potential at 12, lock first-round guys. Some that could be maybe later. I know DeAndre Baker was a guy for a while, but his really bad pro day kind of hurt that. So it's really just down to Byron Murphy and Greedy Williams. So Greedy, first of all, is six foot one, 185 pounds. Uh, he's he's the he's the guy that everybody wants, right? The the taller, long arm guy. Uh, his, his grade in 2018 via Pro Football Focus was 80.5, nothing super elite. Uh, run defense 73.9, coverage 82.7. So good, not elite. So his top metric, which was 20th in the nation, was coverage snaps per reception. We just talked about those kind of metrics. But the amount of snaps per reception for Greedy Williams was 15.93. Now, these are this is college, so it's a little bit different. But that would blow any Packers guys out of the water. It's a massive number. Looking at his stats in 2018, 796 snaps. He had nine stops, which, again, is that preventing a first down slash, you know, short yardage on first down. He was targeted 67 times, only 27 of those are caught, which is a 40.3% catch percent or uh, yeah, catch rate percentage whatever. Very very low number. Those 27 receptions went for 401 yards, two touchdowns, he had two picks and eight pass deflections. Passer rating of 58.1. So that's pretty solid. Now, a lot of people think Greedy Williams is just kind of a top guy because of his build. PFF would probably agree with that because if you look at Byron Murphy and the the respect that they give to him, they have him way higher. They have Byron Murphy graded 92.0. In other words, they had him as an elite corner. They had his run defense grade at 86.7 and his coverage grade at 92.1. Some of his advanced metrics, yards per per coverage snap, he was 17th at 0.66. Coverage snaps per target, 7.81. Coverage snaps per reception, 15.74. Pretty close to where Greedy was at. So 904 snaps, which is really, really high. Um, 17 stops, which is crazy. Uh, 62 targets, only 31 were caught. That's 50% uh, catch percentage. 320 yards, very, very low considering how, you know, Byron Murphy had over 400 with less snaps. This is 904 snaps, only 30, 320 yards. That's about 10 yards per reception. That's about half of what Greedy had. Three touchdowns allowed. He had four interceptions, nine pass deflections. It's a passer rating of 54.5. So those guys that are currently seen, who who really knows, though? You know, Jair was a second-round second guy at this time of the year. You could see maybe a Julian Love sliding up into the first round. So I guess that's my very long answer to the question. Although I understand the general heartburn about it, about being tired of taking corners, I think that that's overridden by the idea of having a really good cornerback group to complement the fact that we have Adrian Amos, we have a good pass rush, we've got a good interior defensive line. Now, it doesn't have to necessarily be at 12. I think we can get a, a quality cornerback to help bolster this group at 30, 
it just it really just comes down to drafting better. I mean, I, I don't care if it's a third-round guy. I just want somebody that can actually contribute. And it just doesn't seem like the Packers really have that ability. Hopefully, maybe bringing over a guy like Milt Hendrickson from the Baltimore Ravens will help. Um, they've done a really good job building defense, drafting defense. I mean, they drafted Anthony Averett last year in the fourth round. He didn't play full-time, but he still graded out better than half of our corners. They got Marlon Humphrey in the first round in 2017. He's a very good corner. So I don't know. We'll see. But the, the answer to the question is yes, I would be okay with it. I'm not saying it's a need. In other words, we have to take corner at 12. Absolutely not. We'll just take the best player available. I'm just saying the thought that we should not take corner at 12 just because we don't want to is silly to me. If it's there, if it's the best player, just take it. Anyways, that's going to be that. You folks enjoy. Hey, we got a closing dance powder. DJ uh, Galaxy just wanted to say goodnight to y'all. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.